0: Welcome to episode 157. This week my guest is Melody Graddick. She went from living in Panama City wishing she could go to college to enlisting into the Army. She decided to stay past her first enlistment and eventually ended up working at the White House Transportation Agency. She served in the Army for 24 years. She experienced the world through her many different travels, both through the military and living overseas. She also has both her college and master's degree. Today, she owns Excel Mill Consulting and Coaching, where she takes the leadership lessons she learned in the military to help others in their career. It's another great episode, so let's get started. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Women of the Military podcast would like to thank Sabio Coding Bootcamp for sponsoring this week's episode. Sabio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Sabio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more And now let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Melody. I'm so excited to have you here. It
1: is exciting to be here, Amanda, and I'm super geek to just be able to share who I am and share with the military spouses and anyone that's still active in the military. Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. And a lot of the listeners are women who are looking to join the military, so they'll really appreciate your story because I read your bio and there's lots of different pieces and interesting parts to it. Let's start with why did you decide to join the military?
1: Well, my name is Melody Graddick, and I come from Panama City, Florida, where I joined the military. I'm not going to tell my age, (laughs) but I will say it was decades ago, and it was one of the best decisions that I have made. I retired with 24 years of service back in 2013, and it really placed me in a different income bracket, much levels, different levels of experience. And so I just highly recommend it as a different alternative pathway for a career.
0: And what specifically drew you into the military? Were you just looking for a new pathway and you felt stuck or what was it that led you to the military?
1: I think what really led me to the military was I wanted to travel the world. Initially, as part of it is to serve my country as being a patriot for, you know, just America and standing up for what we believe as the greatest superpower in the earth. While at the same time, I also had this little knack to like look outside the window of my home and our apartments that we lived in to know that there was more to the world than just Panama City, Florida. And the military provided me that avenue to get education that my mom could not necessarily afford while I, you know, while we were, we had the community college there, the local community college, it still was out of reach with our income bracket. And and so the military was going to give me what a place, you know, time to travel, as well as an education and along with the medical and the dental benefit. So when I say that it just leveled us up and, you know, it provided me discipline, I, you know, the diversity of, of thought, as well as being around diverse groups of people.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So where did you go to basic and what was that experience like for you?
1: Basic training for me was something, I'm not sure they still even offer it, but Fort Dix, New Jersey. So you can imagine leaving Panama City, Florida, going to basic training at Fort Dix, New Jersey, not having traveled that many times out of the state, except for Georgia or Alabama, and now going north of the DC area, going into New Jersey for that eight weeks of training. It was an interesting change uh, to see, because for again, it didn't necessarily snow a lot in Florida at that time. Although here recently, we've seen snow in some different places where there's never been snow with these inclemented weather patterns. But I tell you, it was just an interesting time. And again, I had did Air Force ROTC while I was in high school. So that afforded me the opportunity to go in as a E3 or for the Army private first class. And and so with that being said, I did not start off as a PV1 that E3 rank placed me in responsible position, even at a young age, I was like, okay, you're going to be the squad leader or the supervisor or manager over other women that were joining. So that was definitely a tough eight weeks for me because I didn't just get to just be a service member, just entering the service. I was also a leader even back then.
0: Yeah. Annie Brock was on the podcast earlier this year and she was the highest ranking in her platoon. And she talked about how she was. The one who had to hold the door open and then she had to eat really fast and then she had to like be the first one out and she was like it wasn't the same type of experience as everyone else because she was the leader and there was a lot more responsibility so it sounds like you were very similar to her story.
1: Definitely. It's a similar, I mean, you are responsible. And so it's not that we're playing like a surrogate mother position when you're in leadership, although it takes on some of those different components. The other aspect is that you are trying to navigate basic training yourself and get over some of the areas. Like for me, it was the weapon, it was, you know, firing the, firing the M16 and everything like that. So while you're learning to do that, you're also responsible. Okay. Did you, you know, check in on your parents? Did you call back home? Did you receive any mail? And that time it was direct mail, the way we get letters in the mail now, you know, but again, it's interesting. The dynamic is different because everyone has cell phones and tablets. I'm not even sure they still allow that in basic training, but at that point they took away like little pagers. At that time we had pagers. So that dates me a little bit that we had the pagers and they would take that away from you so that you didn't have contact. So you could really focus in on really training and getting active acclimated to the Army's culture as well as whether it be Air Force, Marine or Navy, it was you had to get acclimated to serving our nation, whether whichever joint service that you were in, even if it was Coast Guard.
0: Yeah. When I went to basic, we had cell phones and they took them away for the whole time. I've heard because of COVID, they've kind of sometimes they've changed the rules a little bit just because of the pandemic environment. But I need to do more research on what it is right now. I just heard a rumor that they had changed the rules around COVID. But I think it was about like staying connected to your family as like a pandemic is happening and not so you could talk on your phone whenever you wanted So it's a different type of thing. I still think they want you to have that complete focus. And let's talk about your career. It sounds like from the very beginning, you started out as a leader. So let's talk about your first few assignments. Hey, my first few
1: assignments were unique assignments because I was actually in the medical field as a patient administration specialist, which has a different specialty code now than it had before. But I will say going to San Antonio from, again, similar uh, climate, you know, with humidity and whatever as Florida, but that was interesting, eight weeks over at Fort um, San Antonio. So it's now joint-based San Antonio. And so as I went there, I went from San Antonio, my very first duty station was uh, Fort Meade, Maryland. And, you know, it's kind of nostalgic when I actually ended up back in this area 20 years late. Well, several times because I came back to this area a couple of times. But Fort Meade was my first assignment and it was exactly two years, I want to say two or three years to the date. And then from Fort Meade at that time, we could change out our orders. So I switched orders with someone that was going to Italy because he desired to go to Italy and I wanted to go someplace different, which I still ended up going to Italy, but not in that same capacity as I would have went had I taken those orders. And so I switched orders with him. I ended up from there to Seoul, Korea, from Korea over to Fort Bliss. So I've had some really, I had really great assignments when it came to special duty assignments as well as just this uncharted pathway. And so I stayed special as a patient administration specialist for several years, trying to get promoted, you know, maxing out on college courses, like going through getting my associate's degree, kind of always was working on Um, you know, my education, PT, you know, physical fitness and firing the weapon. And the other aspect was like, okay, what do I do next? Well, we had plateaued at how many points you could get. And if you were not 900 and some points or above, you weren't going to get promoted to E5. So I switched military occupational specialties. I actually transitioned over into transportation and literally I got my E5, with you know, and then my E6. And it literally went from like a two year period of catching back up to where I should have been at in the military military under 10 years. And so I went from that. And then I ended up over in Newport News at Fort Eustis. And so I really had some great assignments. And from Eustis, I went overseas and stayed overseas for from Germany to Belgium for like several years straight. So I did a consecutive overseas tour.
0: So you kind of got stuck in the career field that you were in where you could only promote so quickly because there were only so many spots. And so it was better for you to transfer out of that career field and into a new one. And then you are able to catch up pretty quickly. I've heard a lot of people talk about that. And
1: it's it's just like, you could be doing everything right. And so I definitely want to encourage anyone that is considering going, coming into the military, already in the military, it is okay, what we call on the civilian side, now that I'm a business owner, it is okay to pivot, even while you're in the military. You know, you may want to do something different. You may start off in a human resource field, and now you might want to go into cybersecurity field because you're looking long range at what do you do when you exit the military, whether you exit with four years served, five years served, or 10 years served. I continued to stay because I saw the benefits. I started, you know, I had these dynamic relationships with my fellow service members, you know, and so with that within reach and that I was, I knew I was going to get close to making E7 start first class. I stayed. And then, you know, the doors just opened for the assignment to support, you know, NATO, you know, over in Brussels. And then the assignment came about for the nomination to the White House Transportation Agency. And, you know, having come from humble, very humble beginnings in Panama City, Florida, to this wow opportunity to serve at the White House Transportation Agency with a top secret clearance was like a dream come true. And then that just allowed me to even further travel the world and see places that, you know, I watch these game shows, which I used to do as a young girl. And as I watch these game shows, these people will win these exotic vacations to Paris, to London, and to all of those places. And it's kind of being in a unique position when you can travel to those places in the military, you know, not necessarily paying so much out of pocket, but they are paying you to go and you're getting some per diem behind it. So the travel to me was just, you know, I had a wonderful career, to say the least i did deploy and that was one one chapter of my career which i mean that's part of it is that you deploy uh, but if you have a great team and you all have a uh, train together there are definitely some tragedies and atrocities that are you know just heart-wrenching but while at the same time you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself And so to me, that was the larger picture of being part of something bigger that's having an impact in our nation, in other nations. You really get to see how privileged we are in the United States.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Let's backtrack a little bit and talk about. What was it like to be, you said you did two tours back to back overseas? I did Seoul, Korea, but I came back from Seoul. But when I
1: was uh, back to back from Grafenberg, Germany to Belgium, it was three years at the academy as an instructor to students that were, again, going through training to become an E5. So it's just you're continually learning. And it's always about professional development. And so as we go through these technical and, you know, technical training, leadership training, it it just propels us forward. So being an instructor, facilitator, is kind of of a flip side because that's part of my business now is leadership development and training that I've always been invested in career progression and career development because it's the catalyst for change. And and so within that, I did three years there. And from Grafenvere, one of the unique things about being over seas that you had, was it Virgin Air, Ryan Air and these different services or the train where you could just leave on a weekend or the MWR, the morale welfare trips, and you could travel to these exotic castles and these places that you read about on a brochure and you could actually go there for the weekend and, you know, send stuff back to your family from those places to say, not only did you just hear about it, but you actually visited that castle or you actually went and did a tour or votes march or, you know, Enjoying the German cuisine and going to just the different fall festivals and everything. So, you know, Germany's like right there where you could get to the Rhine River boat ride. You could go down to go skiing. You know, it was just one of those great places to take advantage of if you're overseas or get the opportunity to get stationed in Germany.
0: Yeah, it sounds really cool. And then you said you worked for NATO. That sounds like a really cool job. We actually at the Brussels installation is it was, what
1: it was at that particular time. I have to do my research. It used to be United States Army Garrison, Brussels. And we actually was a hub that was downtown. Of course, everybody didn't know where that location was except for people that were assigned there. But we used to support. NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And supporting the North Atlantic Treaty Organization consisted of, you know, you had the Secretary of State come over there, you had different dignitaries from the Pentagon come and, you know, support these different large events that you kind of see on the news, like, you know, these different summits that are held in these different places, and being a part of that team that supported that uh, in the community because, again, we were joint forces, so you had Air Force, Navy, Marines, and army there supporting. And then you had some, again, we had different NATO troops. They were wearing civilian clothes, but on the weekends they served in their different capacities. And you got to work with local nationals that spoke either Flemish or French or a combination of German and everything. So it was an interesting assignment. And again, why I say it's interesting is because you get to understand different cultures and we work, you know, hard, you know, nine to five, 40s, fifties, sixties to 80 hours sometimes, whereas other cultures don't work to that same degree. They just have a different flow of work. And sometimes it could be four days a week. Sometimes it's like right at 3035 and being a supervisor and a manager in that capacity around them you have to understand their policies understand the memorandum of agreement with our country and you have to comply With their policies. And so when they say they have to leave at three o'clock in the afternoon, they're checking out at 3 p.m. in the afternoon and you have to respect and regard that. So it definitely shows you a different dynamic of what other countries consider, you know, work and it does not impact their performance work.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. And you started to talk about like the different cultures and you also said you deployed. So I'm sure you got to see a different culture and that experience. Where did you deploy to and what was that experience like? I deployed
1: to Operation Desert Storms. That kind of does date me. <laughs> so that was the Gulf War. That was right after, uh, again, I was at Fort Meade. I want to say after that deployment, I was around the Fort Meade timeframe. So I deployed then and being in you know, Iraq over there in Saudi Arabia was different. And I was still young. I was still under 25 at that time. So I will say that part, I was young. And, but the good thing about it is all of the training that we did together prior to our deployment, you know, the different mock postures, the mission, you know, the postures that we had to be in with our chemical suits, you know, being able to wear them for extended amounts of hours and trusting Your team member, trusting that person is to your right or to your left is in the foxhole with you. I wasn't scared in the sense of a fear scared. My concern has always been for other people. It's always been about serving others in a capacity of how can I encourage? How can I inspire? That's what, again, the essence of the word leadership. However, it was always looking out for the other people while maintaining safety and vigilance and taking what we did seriously because, you know, running to the bunker, you got the mortar rounds coming, you know, you're running to the bunker and you're having to have all your gear on. And then at the same time, you're having to triage patients, you're trying to, you're having a decom. And, you know, you're having to jump sites. And so basically you're so well trained and so well positioned to do what you do that there is that moment to kind of respond But your response becomes, again, we're operating from muscle memory. So it becomes automatic that, you know, we don't panic. We just respond, react and get to safety or we respond and act and we, you know, continue with our mission that's in front of us. Like being so laser focused that it's like, how do you function? Well, you function in it because you're trained. It's only when we deploy back and after so many years that you actually process what you actually experienced and saw because it was happening right in front of you. This person is amputated. This person just died, like right in front of you. This person is bleeding all over, and you are responding and treating. But then when you step back from that posture, that rapid posture, then you process the hurt. You process that, you know, because I still say to this day, it is not normal. For human beings to see that volume of death on a consistent basis and still be normal. Hence the word why we have post-traumatic stress disorder now, because we've been exposed to so much that, you know, you may watch it on TV and think, oh, it's just a movie or a game. But in real life, it desensitizes you to an extent because you still carry on with the mission. But afterwards, it's when you process the reality and it's just so raw because it's it happening and it's happening every single day throughout the day. So you function, it's kind of like functioning and dysfunction.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way to talk about it. And I think one of the hardest parts of like coming home from war is you've been functioning and you're surviving. And so you're like, I don't need to think about those feelings and all the things that happened. And so you're like, I'll just push forward. But you do really need to process all that stuff that you saw. And it's kind of like a training mode that you go into to get through it. But eventually you need to work through those feelings. And a lot of times soldiers were just not as good at doing that because We're just like, get the mission done. And then we're like, and forget about it. And I want to put this plug in because it is National Suicide
1: Prevention Month this month. So it's just really important for everyone that's listening to know that it's National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And one of the things that I learned, a valuable lesson learned is that as I was transitioning out, kind of dating myself here, is that it became okay. And I'm going to put this out there, this plug in. It is okay to sit on the couch and talk about it with a therapist. If you are contemplating suicide, if you thought about it, if you journaled, if you kind of sat in your room and tried to drink the problem away or the memory away, it is now okay to talk to someone and get help. There's a National Suicide Prevention website. They have phone numbers that you can call to protect your identity and to share what you are feeling. Reach out, contact somebody, let somebody know that you are hurting. This image, these flashbacks that you're having is like a panoramic. It's like a movie that's just playing over and over, or you're hearing voices. It is National Suicide Prevention Month. Contact someone. There are a plethora of resources that Amanda, I'm sure, has on her site, as well as other uh, individuals that can point you to get the help. It's no longer going to impact your security clearance. It's no longer going to impact your promotion. Get the help you need.
0: Yeah, and I have been going through therapy with the Cohen Veterans Network the last, I guess, 10 weeks or so. Um, I'm almost at the end of the sessions. And it's been really helpful for processing so many different aspects. And I kind of knew I needed therapy for a while, but I kept hitting roadblocks. And luckily with Cohen Veterans Network, I was able to get help and get therapy. And it's been life-changing. I have so many more tools on dealing with some of the things that I dealt with while deployed. I'm going to put the resources that you mentioned and I'll link to Cohen Veterans Network in the show notes so that people can find them. But it's so important if you're struggling to reach out and the suicide prevention line is definitely a really great resource.
1: I am so glad that you are receiving the assistance that's available to veterans. And in many cases, whether you are going through the VA or TRICARE, it's a nominal fee if it's through TRICARE. And if it's through the vets, you know, it could be free. There are some services that are totally free of charge. I think now it is time for us to really, you know, it it was always about taking care of our battle buddy. But even now, I still reach back. I talked to someone that I had known from Fort... Bliss 30 some years ago, and just reaching out and checking in on her as a vet because we're at different tiers in our career paths post military life, and it's still important. The veteran community is still very important to be a part of, to be plugged into, so you can actually get on the phone and. I don't care if it's a five minute conversation or three minute conversation just to let people know that you're okay and not just, you know, under that cloud of depression and just trying to navigate it yourself. Get the help that's out there. There's so many resources that are out there. And I was on a vet's call this Saturday, Vets to Industry, and that organization is phenomenal. And they are people with resources that can just literally help. Us to get out of the house. There's the art therapy, the music therapy. There are so many different tools for vets to utilize to support, like a support system.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And we as veterans just have to get involved. And the Coen Veteran Network is a free program that I'm doing. And so there are, there's a bunch of free programs. Invest to Industry is a great for transitioning veterans and just networking with veterans. I've done a few of their online events that they've done in the past year. It's just so great, all the stuff that they're doing and the way that they're connecting vets. We were going to talk a little bit about the White House. So I want to go back to your career and talk about your time at the White House because you served there under both President Bush and Obama, right? Correct. So so that was like an interesting experience because you got to experience two different leaders, two different parties in charge in the White House. So what was that experience like?
1: I will say the experience for me working at White House Transportation Agency, which uh, there are there is the White House Military Office that I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of. And these are nominated positions to serve, whether it be White House Communications Agency, White House Transportation Agency, the Presidential Airlift Group. There is the also the, uh, the one that does the food, uh, Presidential Food Services, and that's through the Navy. There are a plethora of organizations that support the movement and logistics and everything that goes into the behind the scenes support for the president of the United States, wherever you see the president, there is a host of people supporting his logistical and operation, the logistics, the operations, everything. And when I say that it could change your career trajectory post-military because you are in a posture where, again, nominated position. You're working around civilians, you're working around contractors, and you're working around fellow service members to include the junior captain members, senior captain members, people that you see that are news correspondents and contributors that are on CNN and Fox, and you are moving about in and around that element. Which you know we we understood that we were statesmen and we were ambassadors even as a service member and so it's just very it was a rewarding position educational you continue to get your education while you're serving you continue to prepare yourself for promotion whether you're going to go back into you know a regular unit or not but again there's that opportunity to stay within some agencies then there's that opportunity to go back to a regular unit but you go back with a different perspective, because now you've kind of seen what it was not just working in a unit, just this all service members, but now you've worked around some civilians and some independent contractors. And so you get that diversity of thought, that diversity of experience, that collective intelligence. And you kind of see from a very high executive level what goes uh some of the ins and outs that goes into some of the policy making that drives the decisions of some of the commanders. Some decisions of like whether we're going to go to war or not, which summit we're going to, some of the outcome of those summits as far as building up these different countries and our support to these third world nations. So, you really get a global lens, if you will, on how our country supports these other countries and how important these partnerships are. And you're playing a significant role. And supporting the president of the United States and his particular cabinet and people that are on staff there that some of them have been on staff in certain offices for years. And and so it's just a, a really rewarding position to get to consider as a special duty assignment.
0: Yeah, it sounds like such a cool experience. And I bet growing up, you probably, did you even dream that one day you would be working in the White House? Like, that's just so cool.
1: (laughs) That was never a dream, Amanda. And I laugh and smile about it because... People ask me that when I interviewed for jobs, you know, it's like you go from working in this at this executive position, even serving in the capacity that we served in. And it's a I mean, when you think about working in that particular tier, you know, supporting that particular tier of government, which is the executive branch of the government, it really postures you differently with your self-esteem. You're confident, you know, the value and work that you bring to another position afterwards, you're able to articulate who you are differently. So it postures you for, I mean, this, there are no limits. So it makes you really have a, a limitless viewpoint on not necessarily putting a cap on what you can achieve beyond that, because that is like a premier position to have and to exit from and have on your resume.
0: Yeah, it sounds really cool. I know that we only hit like a little tiny bit of your career, but I feel like we covered a lot of it. Anything else from your experience or any memory that you wanted to talk about?
1: I think the biggest takeaway for me with the training, the physical physical fitness, I mean, the myriad of friends I have around the nation and in U.S. territories that I can reach out to at any given time, I still am a champion and an advocate for military service in some capacity. Of. One of the things I appreciated about being in Seoul, Korea was the Katusa soldiers, the Korean you know, soldiers that worked on U.S. installations. And those soldiers served, you know, most male service mem- male service members. but on the Korean side, they served for an average of two years. And I thought that I'm not advocating that there be a draft. I just knew that they, you know, ascertained discipline, you know, a little bit of sense of direction with what they wanted to do with their life, whether they want to stay in the Korean army or whether they just wanted to do the two years and exit the Korean army. I just thought that was a unique setup of like at least serving for those two years. Experience it. And if you don't like it, you could transition, you know, Um, and I still like when I'm sharing with my nieces and nephews, talk about the option of the Army Reserve, the Air National Guard, the Air Force Reserve, you know, so there's different options out there. And I don't want people to pigeonhole themselves or like into this, just one aspect of what they could do with their career. It's like there are myriads of pathways. Try the one. If it doesn't work, be willing to pivot and try something different.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, I have over 150 episodes on the podcast and every story is different and every experience is different. And it's all about the choices you make and the different experiences you have. I don't think anyone's career ever follows anyone else's. Even doing the same job, but you go to different locations and it just different opportunities open up and it changes your life. And I think it's interesting that President Biden is considering adding women to the draft and how that'll change the dynamics of the military in the long term.
1: I think it would definitely change the dynamic. And so I am a proponent for you have the linear pathway, which is that one well thought out detailed plan that we come up with that, you know, and, and again, Definitely write down your goals. I I teach that. But the other part is the non-linear pathway that when there is these different challenges that come about or obstacles that come about or even opportunities, which I, I like that word as well, that comes up, that takes you off of what you put down on paper. And sometimes, you know, moving the needle a little bit and trying a different pathway can really work out to your advantage. And, you know, we don't always see that at the beginning phases of that decision or if that decision is made for us based off of HR component that actually assigns us, the personnel assignment component that assigns us to these different jobs and installations. But I have learned to kind of you move past some of those negative experiences that we do tend to have in the military. And I don't want to sugarcoat that or make light of that. Not everyone's military experience was the best the most pleasant. However, there are some times when you do have great leadership, a great team of people that support you, which is your military family. I mean, it doesn't absolve some of the negativity, but it does make it more manageable for you to continue to keep serving.
0: For sure. So at the 24-year point, you decided to transition out of the military. What made you decide it was time to leave? It was the time to leave the military service at 24 years,
1: because as a sergeant first class, I could only serve up to 26. So I was nearing that anyway. And it was, okay. I'm working on my master's degree now. I've already completed my undergrad. So now I'm working on my uh, master's degree. And as a wife and like, okay, I have an option to stay a little bit longer, but we would again have to leave our area, and we wanted to start homesteading. It was like time to plan our roots in this Northern Virginia area. It was time to plant our roots, and my husband and I had had a discussion. He was also so we were dual military. He retired a year prior to myself in two thousand twelve, and I retired a year after. So we we put together a plan of action: of you retire first, go out get the job. I will retire next. Uh, he was completing his second master's degree and I completed my first. And so it was like, it was a very strategic approach, well thought out approach to why we exited at the time that we did and said, you know, it's time for the next chapter. And the next chapter looks very different post-military for a host of different veterans. And you'll have you did 152 episodes, so you've heard every particular angle of some of what that exit looks like, post-military life looks like for a lot of vets. So I, I would highlight and say that, you know, have an exit strategy, plan it, and then go with your decision. But there is help. Like I attended the transition assistance program classes. So I took advantage of those resources. We laid everything out. We got everything in place for our wheels and our different uh, you know, beneficiaries and our insurance plans. So we kind of like mapped out what post-military life would look like those first five to seven years. And we're actually carrying a lot of that out now.
0: That's awesome that you guys took so much time in like planning and communicating and deciding like your husband got out a year earlier than you and then you stayed in and you had that stability and that like kind of transition rough time where if you're not to a military, you can't really have one person get out and the next person get out. So that's really interesting. And how long were you guys married and on active duty?
1: We got married over in Copenhagen, Denmark, which was a unique place to get married at at the Justice of the Peace. And then we, of course, got married again at our church in Brussels at the time. We got married in 2006. And so now we're at the 15-year mark, and it's just kind of, again, one of those surreal events that I've had and just been privileged and honored and extremely blessed to have is getting married overseas, flying the family over there for the wedding, enjoying our honeymoon with the family, which that's that's another story all by itself that I won't share here, but that was interesting to be able to fly the family over and then after our wedding, my husband got orders and got, an, again, a special assignment here to support a particular program that he is still currently working on as a contractor. And, and so that was just the dynamic of our experience. Not everyone has that experience, but I will say that having stayed for the full 24 years, I was I was at one Soldier that would always raise my hand. I'm only going to do a two year reenlistment up until I hit ten, and then after ten, I went ahead and did it for the full. Hey, it's just going to be indefinite. But I was like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to stay in. But when I say my life is so much better because I did stay, and you know, every, some people are being extremely successful with the cybersecurity certificate and, you know, information technology, PNP. There are some people that are doing extremely well and they didn't have to stay the full 10 or Or 20 years, or some, you know, at the time, at one point, they were offering a 15 year retirement. So I've seen some different experiences where people have been extremely successful and they did not retire. So I do want to make sure that everyone that's listening understands that you can be successful, whether you stay the full 20 or whether you stay under 20. It is, again, it's the decisions that you make along the way that can really set you up for success when you exit the military.
0: That's so true. I did six years, so I did not retire and I'm really happy. It was a hard, it was hard to leave the military and it was, I always questioned if it was the right decision in the beginning, but it's been long enough that I know that it was the right decision, even though it was really hard to make at the time. And I want to speak to that. I'm glad you brought
1: that part up, whether it's six, four or five or 20, leaving the military is like, cause the the military is a microcosm of society. It is a community within a community. And it's so woven together that it's your family. It's like you grow up in it. And when you grow up in an organization, it does make it difficult to leave because now you're looking at relationships. There is that infrastructure. There's that support system where, you know, your promotions, your human resource department, your how you eat, where you live at in the dorms. You know, now they have the dorms versus the barracks for when I grew up in and, and the military. So when you leave that infrastructure or shall I say that bubble, it is difficult emotionally because now what are those relationships going to look like now that you're not there every day? Will they stay in contact? Like, Hey, keep in touch. Well, they don't always because everyone lives their individual lives. And so they have their lives to navigate. The intent is to stay in touch, but it doesn't always happen. So it's a very difficult, emotional experience. Not only is it just the, you know, the resources that's like you have, you know, like, okay, let me prepare for different resources to come in, but it's the aspect of all of the emotional, the friendships the family. And so it's like, I'm not going to have that family or being able to go on the installation and enjoy some of those festivals and events that they have on the installation that you just are accustomed to experiencing what Friday night looks like, what Saturday and the weekends look like on the installation. Whereas now you're like, okay, I don't have that same infrastructure. You build new relationships So even though you still have those that you can reach back out to on LinkedIn and in the social media world that we are in, and we can, we're always just a, you know, text or a Zoom call away from like, or FaceTime away from talking with someone, but now you're a civilian and you build new relationships.
0: That's so true. I'm still halfway in because my husband's still in, but it's still, it's still quite a transition. And eventually... My husband will retire and then we'll have to go through it all over again. And it'll be a new experience. Well, I am great to hear that you are now the, you have the
1: official badge as a military spouse. And so you're still part of the military community, it, but it is still, even in that is different. So I really want to salute you and your husband for having served our nation, continuing to serve, because on this side, what I do as a leadership trainer and a consultant to different organizations that have went to the Department of Labor for one of their focus groups. One, I'm so pleased that they really have this initiative. Initiative for military spouses to receive the different training and certifications so that they can move from installation to installation with their spouse and continue to not have to have to start all over each installation. So I'm so pleased that there's those initiatives to keep military spouses employed just like veterans.
0: Yeah, it's so important because when I transitioned out of the military, none of that was there. And so that was part of the struggle I found in like finding a job because when I transitioned, I knew we would be moving in a year and then I was going to have to start over. And so that's part of why I'm a freelancer and podcaster, because it gave me the flexibility to just take my computer wherever we moved. And I didn't have to worry about having an office job that then I had to start over. But there is, there's so much going on in the military spouse unemployment arena that is so important. So you mentioned your business. Let's talk a little bit about what you're
1: doing today. And one of the things that we're doing at my company, Excel Mill LLC, we are a training solutions provider and we are an executive management consulting firm. And our tagline is that we empower people and teams to excel both professionally and personally. And again, leadership training, we are advocates for lifelong learning and we do market research as well as executive coaching. And so coaching is is not necessarily therapy, nor is it mentoring. Coaching is where we ask poignant questions because we believe that you have the answer. We believe the answer lies within the person. And as we ask these deep questions, thought-provoking questions and, you know, allow that person to sit in a quiet space, the answer will surface is in their subconscious. And I found myself doing that in the military. So the interesting dynamic, if you heard about training over at uh, Grafenberg, Germany, and always being in a leadership position, I, after receiving my master's, was in a not necessarily the same situation as you, Amanda, but a, a unique situation where I could either work for someone else, which is the federal government. Or kind of that's one of the trajectories. If you served in the military, you can go get a federal job. But the other option was you can either go in the military, you know, go in that direction, or you can start your own business. And so I looked at it from a vantage point of all of these years of experience working in the client, you know, the different tiers of government and supporting, you know, NATO, supporting the president. Seeing that we have something to offer small, mid-sized, and large organizations was less pull together other peers that have industry experience and let's offer this leadership training cultivating lifelong learners where people can advance their careers take the necessary courses whether they're on demand courses that are micro or hour and they can take these different courses or certifications and upskill so that they can again have a living not just a living wage but earn a salary that reflects and represents their level of knowledge skills and experience so it's my passion to see people advance from middle management all the way up into the C-suite, if not be on a board of directors. And really for them to identify their strengths, identify the skills. Like there's like now there's this, we are really championing soft skills. There's this, in the industry, soft skills is one of the number one skills that will be needed post 2025 and beyond. So yes, the hard skills are still a requirement for some industries, but most companies are are also looking for people that have the soft skills. And we offer that at Excel Mill LLC.
0: That sounds great. And once you become a business owner and you have like that control over your life, it's stressful, it's challenging. And it's not like it's a walk in the park. It's just something about it that's so gratifying. And I just love being able to work for myself and, and change the world through the work that I'm doing. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing.
1: I like that. It's not a walk in the park. It's not for the faint of heart. And you know, a lot of what we've learned through some of our military experience as far as the self-discipline, we just on our website have a blog and an ebook on self-leadership. We're not going to start talking about multiple generations in the workforce. What we find as business owners, whether you are an entrepreneur, which means you're thinking about going into business or you are a full-fledged entrepreneur or a freelancer. Again, research shows that after 2025, the majority of the workforce is going to be freelancers. You can go on any freelance website, just Google it and you will find people that are extremely talented, that are offering their expertise as freelancers, because it's a way to, again, have another stream of income, while at the same time, it's giving people that flexibility to not have to, if they don't want to work a nine to five, they now have an option to work on their passion and in their passion. And so I have a couple of people that I've outsourced from different websites that support our company. It just gives you options and you actually get to really apply some of the disciplines you learn from time management to your scheduling. Even with this, this is two o'clock in the afternoon that you hosted this, but there was some logistical stuff that went behind as well as administrative stuff that went behind the scenes to make this podcast possible.
0: This has been a really great interview and we're almost out of time. So I want to ask my last question, which is what advice would you give to young women who are considering joining the military?
1: That is a great question. I will tell every woman that is thinking about joining the military, I would say make a conscious decision that you can live with and not regret.
0: I really like that because I think That is one of the things I'm working on a book that is on the topic of women joining the military. And that's one of the things that I say in 10 years, if you're going to look back, should I join the military? And you think back and say, I really wish I would have, then that kind of helps you find your answer. There's still a lot more internal work and the pros and cons and your life situation. But I think that's a really good gut check to tell you if you're like in the middle on where to go. So I love that it's...
1: And I'm a proponent, and one last final thing, Amanda, I am a proponent for now at this particular juncture in our lives, and it's like looking back in hindsight, but really sometimes it's okay to get advice from friends and family to see what their perspective is on a situation, but also, again, sit quietly with yourself and make the decision because if you have if someone's living their life through you vicariously you will make a decision that you will later regret so my best advice sit quiet with yourself and make the decision
0: that's great advice thank you so much for your time i really appreciate having this conversation so thank, thank you. you
1: for having me amanda and i really appreciate you offering the opportunity <music>
0: to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.